This morning we're going to look at the text that we just heard read. So if you have your Bible, if you'll keep it open to Acts chapter 1, we're going to look specifically at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. This one verse which becomes the key to understanding the entire book of Acts. Maybe a good way to understand how that works is for me to tell you a little bit of a story. Back when I was a kid, we were at my grandfather's house and me and my brother went out to his stock pond. And it was a really great day. It was nice and quiet. The stock pond was really smooth. It was perfect for skipping stones. So I picked up a stone and I kind of skipped it across and it, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, right? You kind of count them as they go out. Anybody else do that kind of competitively? Now, of course, uh, you know, you're always in competition with your siblings. So uh, my younger brother, he picks up a stone and he does and he skips and it hits like 20. He's my little brother. You can't let him win. So I picked up another stone and I skipped and I got like six. And he picked another one and he skipped it and it went all the way across the pond. I was so frustrated, so angry. It's game over. So I just picked up a big rock from the shore and just threw it into the water. Kabloosh, right? I was done skipping stones. It was fascinating though when we watched that stone sink into the water and come bring water back up, and then it sent ripples that went across the surface of the smooth pond, and they followed all the way out to the edge. Those ripples from the impact of that stone begin to change the surface of the water. When we see what is in the text here from chapter, uh, from Acts chapter one, we are seeing the impact of the gospel in the world, that it starts in one place and it begins to ripple out across, disrupting the very existence of culture and every single dynamic until all of it is changed. The stone, Jesus becomes a change agent in the water. So when we look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when you read the book of Acts, that's exactly what begins to happen. What starts in Jerusalem begins to echo out into Judea and then from there to Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the world. This frames what is going on in the text, but it's a word for us today as well. So if you're taking notes, if you're one of those people who is a note taker, the key thing that I want us to see from the text is this. You are empowered by God through the Holy Spirit to make a difference. You are empowered by God through the Holy Spirit to make a difference. And what I want us to look at and to explore is the idea that each of us has spheres of influence that begin to impact broader and broader areas so that we see God using us to make a difference through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you notice in the text itself that the power comes not from ourselves. 
right? We can go to any bookstore. You can watch enough little TikTok videos. You can watch enough Instagram reels to figure out that there are lots of people who are ready to sell you on the latest self-help thing, the positive self-talk, the things that you need to tell yourself to psych yourself up, to be able to do X, Y, or Z. If you could only get this system down, you've got it, right? There are plenty of groups that kind of do that. Our power, though, as believers in Jesus Christ is different. Our power comes not from us. It comes from a reality that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. This was promised by Jesus that he would send the Holy Spirit to be with us. Paul in Romans 8 reminds Christians in Rome that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead abides in you. Friends, we have power from God to make a difference. We are those who are empowered. So why is it that we often operate as if we have no power. We kind of shrink back. We step away. Well, this is where I want us to be able to see four key areas of influence. At the end of each of these, I'm going to invite you to pray. And I'm going to invite you to pray a risky prayer. You remember uh, Christmas story movie, right? The whole double dog dare, right? You, the, the kind of risk that I want you to take is I want you to kind of think of it as a double dog dare. Don't do it unless you mean it, but I'm going to challenge you to pray this morning to think about how God has uniquely situated you for his purposes and that through his power, you can make a difference. Now, I recognize this morning, this is the Sunday after Easter, right? So if you came today because you encountered Jesus Christ last week, and you still have more questions about how Jesus Christ changes lives, there are answers to be found here. And I want you to understand that a risen Savior is exactly what we're talking about. It is the risen Savior that secures for us salvation. And that salvation is secured because of that risen Savior so that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if this is something that's kind of new to you and confusing, I want to make sure that you understand that your pastors here are going to be happy to talk with you about that. If you're exploring Christianity and you want to know more, the people around you are very happy to share with you about the hope that you can have in Jesus Christ. So do not leave here without answers. Jesus saves to the uttermost. And many of us in this room, most of us in this room have a testimony about how he changed us deeply, personally. And I want you to make sure that you connect with that. But for the rest of us as believers in Jesus Christ, if we know that the power of the Holy Spirit has changed our life, let's look at this first sphere of influence. Notice that the text says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. I'm sure the disciples would have loved to have had Jesus say, in Jerusalem, period. Right? Jerusalem was home base. It was a great city. They were comfortable there. They knew the back streets. They knew all the great restaurants where you could get the best falafels. Right? They knew exactly what was going on in that place and in that culture. And it was the most comfortable to them. And I'm sure they would have loved if Jesus would have just said, Jerusalem, full stop. But I'd like to suggest to you today that our Jerusalem sometimes is actually harder than we actually think about. 
If we think about our Jerusalem as our home base, the place where we are, the place where we spend most of our time, what our culture tells us that in our home bases, it's our place to sit in the proverbial easy chair and kick back. It is our place to hit neutral. It is our place to just idle and chill. The problem with that is that according to the word of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as neutral. We're always in gear for the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the challenge is that for you and me, if we're raising kids in this culture and in this day, the culture tells us that we should let them follow their own hearts, let them follow their own way, and not teach them about the things of God. To not tell them about how Jesus saves. My friends, as parents in this room, as grandparents in this room, as we are looking with the responsibility of caring for children, it doesn't matter if they're two months, two years, 12 years, or 22 years of age, we are continually supposed to be saturating their lives with the gospel. Deuteronomy chapter 6, a great text of scripture that reminds us about our responsibility in raising up the next generation. Look at the text on the screen. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. The big picture here is that there should be no way, no way on earth that your children can escape your home without hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Period. That the gospel so saturates and transforms your life and my life that there is no way that my children can leave my home and not hear the gospel. Now, the challenging part of this as parents is that we would love to dictate for our children that they all just automatically become believers. We know that that's not true. Salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. So all we can do is give an environment inclined to God. But we have to trust the Spirit to do the work in the lives of our children. We give the gospel over and over again. For those of you who do not have families yet, this is important to remember for you as you are living with a roommate as you are living with maybe a, a group of people and you're, you're saying, I don't know how to apply this. Uh, friends, your gathering should continually to be focused on the person of Jesus Christ. There is no neutral. Second of all, I think in our culture, we have a problem of polite culture. I, I know that we've kind of lost everything polite in our culture. Don't, don't get me wrong, but there's still unwritten rules, right? So if you have a family gathering this summer, one of those family reunion things that, that uh, we all just love to go to, um, when you get together, well, there are two things that you're not supposed to talk about, right? Politics and religion. And, and we know that that's pretty much what 
everyone kind of talks about, right? So your last gathering, you know, when Uncle Jimmy got up and stormed out of the room because he wanted to talk about Bitcoin and inflationary practices and nobody wanted to talk about it. And so he just went out and sat on the porch and tweeted about it. And and Aunt Lucille, she got upset because somebody dissed her president and threw the gravy boat. You know, it's very on brand for 2023, right? It's just, it's just what we do. The deal is here, when we talk about this polite culture, sometimes we get so intimidated that we never want to share about what Jesus is doing in our life. The difference is that in the text, we are told that we are to be witnesses. Now, I don't know about you, uh, anyone had to do jury duty? Such a fun thing, get paid like three bucks to sit in a courtroom all day, right? Just exciting times. If you've not done jury duty, you've at least seen a trial on TV, right? And the whole concept is that there is somebody who's on trial and you get witnesses who come and testify about the case that you're observing. A witness simply tells what they've seen. A witness simply tells what they've seen. Some of us, especially if we've been in church world for a long time, we hear something like uh, someone preach on a text uh, like this and and you kind of freak out just a little bit because you're like, oh, somebody's going to be talking about me witnessing and I need this kind of plan and I need this kind of apologetic and I need this kind of thing and I need this kind of, just stop. When Jesus commissioned his disciples, he simply wanted them to say what they had seen. He wanted them to be witnesses. Our calling as believers in Jesus Christ is just to be those in the power of the Holy Spirit tell others about what we've seen. Then as we're living our life and following Christ, what begins to happen is that our life reflects the things that we say. And then it makes sense for people. It connects. And they're able to connect with this understanding. And then that idea of polite culture begins to go out the door. And we're able to have conversations about Jesus. Back when I was a student at Oxford, I lived in this uh, building where we had a bunch of different like rooms. And then we all shared a kitchen. And I'm in there cooking dinner one night. I've been there uh, almost, we we're almost close to uh, graduation time uh, for my program. And, and so I've lived with these, some of these people for, for quite a long time. I'm in there cooking and this lady walks in and uh, one of my fellow students and she's going to getting ready to make her, her meal. And she's like, I've got a question for you. Can, you know, a serious question for you. I'm like, okay. Um, I guess shoot. She goes, why are you so weird? (laughs) I'm like, uh, (laughs) she goes, no, no, no. Just, I don't understand you. You, you, we've, we've been here all this time. I've never seen you bring a girl home. I've never seen you drunk. I've never heard you say anything disparaging about anyone. I don't understand. And in that moment, I had the opportunity to share with this young lady the truth of Jesus. My life was radically transformed because of Jesus Christ. And this is why I don't engage in those things because my savior demands something different of me in my life. 
To my knowledge, I have no idea if she's ever become a believer, but in that moment to be able to share with her the hope that's found in Christ was a byproduct of living and walking a life consistent, Lord willing, as much as possible with what I believed and helping her hear and to see the gospel. So how do we live out this idea of being a witness with those in our Jerusalem, our home base? It's all about living your faith clearly. Do visible devotions with your kids. They see you praying. Lead in devotions. Put scripture on your walls. Be real. Be imperfect. Ask for forgiveness. But above all, just be a follower of Jesus Christ in your home. Now, this leads to our first risky prayer. Are you ready? This is something I'm going to ask you to to pray if you're willing. Uh, Again, remembering that our God promises that he hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. And so I just want to make sure that you know that ahead of time so that you're not praying something that you don't actually want to pray. Uh, Because these are some risky prayers. The first one I'm going to ask us to pray is this. uh, Lord, help me transform my home. Help me not be neutral, but fully engaged in my faith giving me the opportunity to share Christ with my family or my roommates or others in my home. All right. So with this prayer, we're going to do that. We're going to pray. And if you, that's kind of where your heart is, you join with me in prayer. You ready? Let's pray. Heavenly father, we thank you that in your love and your grace that you call us to be your witnesses. God, all of us have a home base for some of us. It's not a place of faith. For some of us, it is a place of faith, but we know there's difficulties and challenges. God, today we're coming before you risking and asking you, help us transform our homes. Help us not be neutral, but fully engaged in our faith. Dear Lord, give me the opportunity to share Christ regularly with my family, my roommates, and others in my home. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So if we have a home base here in Jerusalem, what's next? When you look in the text, and it expands to the city of Judea, the region of Judea. Now, if Jerusalem was a capital city, Judea was the territory. But really, I want us to think about it not like Salem to Oregon, right? I don't want us to think that way. I want us to think about Judea as symbolizing my people, uh, there were those in the, the, the city circles, the disciples circles that were broader than family, but still a part of their tribe, right? So it's like the people that you maybe have season tickets with, the group, when you go watch the Ducks play football. Maybe it's the, <laughs> just poke a little bit there. Uh, maybe, <laughs> I'm, I'm learning. Uh, Maybe it's, it's the four by four group that you like to go out with at least once a month and trail ride, right? Maybe it's that, uh, that softball club that you like to play on. It's your tribe. Who are your people? The people that you understand and, and you do life with, uh, kind of beyond your home. That's your Judea. Now, a lot of times this is where we actually may feel there's a lot more at stake here. See, at base level, if we're all super duper honest for a second, we like to be liked. We like to feel accepted. 
And we fear that if we insert Jesus into our equations, people won't like us anymore. Consequently, we step back and we step back in fear and we don't engage the the people that God has given us as, as part of these different orbits of our life. And in the process, maybe we're just a little ashamed. Now, this isn't anything new. Paul, writing to his protege, Timothy and second Timothy actually helps us connect deeply with us. Listen to the text of scripture here as I read it to you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering of the gospel by the power of God. Paul was telling Timothy, look, you're struggling. You're, you're ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed. Further on in that same chapter, in verse 11, Paul is talking about the gospel and he's saying, I was appointed to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the gospel, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard into that day that which has been entrusted to me. Paul is having to confront this idea that there's somehow Timothy is is shrinking back. He's ashamed of the gospel. Paul, writing to the church in Rome, challenges them the same way. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. This idea of shrinking back is nothing new. So what are we supposed to do when we see in the text that we have power from the Holy Spirit and that we are charged to be witnesses in our broader context? How can we live this out? Friends, we need to be confident. You have the Spirit of God in you. Be confident. God will allow it all to work out in his way and his plan. So here's our risky prayer for this idea of reaching into our Judea, reaching into our affinity groups and and other pieces that we're with. This is it. Ready? Lord, give me confidence from your Holy Spirit to be who I am in Christ with boldness. Are you ready? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and how it challenges us over and over again to be who we are in Christ. You tell us we're your workmanship. God, we, we revel in your salvation and in your grace that's given to us. Lord, allow us to be those who will not shrink back. So Lord, we pray together. Lord, give me confidence from your Holy Spirit to be who I am in Christ with boldness. And may you receive the glory for my life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. But then it moves even broader. If you know your New Testament, if you've been in church for a while, right? What was the area that nobody wanted to go to, right? Samaria. 
Those were the compromisers. Those were the people nobody wanted to touch. And yet Jesus, as he's telling his disciples about what's next, he's saying, I don't want you just to stay at home. I don't want you just to be with your affinity groups. I want you to go even to the people that nobody likes, to Samaria. He names it. Now, this is when we start thinking about kind of a bigger picture of what's going on. And the truth of the matter is, Wow, we live in a global world, right? I got on a plane from Kansas City, Missouri. I flew here, right? We could get on a plane tomorrow or even today if we wanted to, and we could fly literally anywhere. We can, we can go all over the globe. Nothing is outside of our reach on this planet. We can get there. Even more crazy to me is that uh, over the, my, my life uh, of working in academics, I, I will teach a PhD seminar and I'll have individuals in the classroom with me, but I've also got on Zoom people who are literally all the way around the world. My son likes to play Fortnite and when he does, he's got a friend who's in Africa that he plays with, right? There has never been a time where our boundaries have collapsed more, where we can connect with others. When we start talking about our Samaria, we want to start talking about reaching out to all of these places where we can reach like never before. How do we do this though? I think a great example is that of the early church. Michael Green, the great historian from Oxford University, he wrote a brilliant book called Evangelism in the Early Church. He said the number one contributor to the spread of the gospel in the Roman Empire was due to people gossiping the gospel. It's an interesting turn of phrase, gossiping the gospel. What he said was that in many cases in the early church, people would bring others into their home for meal for coffee, whatever. And in the process of the conversation, they'd go, hey, have you heard about? And then they would share a story about what was happening in their community of faith. And in the process, they were able to turn conversation after conversation after conversation to Jesus. Hey, have you heard? There's this lady at our church. She was really struggling with cancer. And our church got together and prayed over her. We can't explain it, but God healed her. It was amazing. God still does miracles. When the other person's like, oh my goodness, that's great. That's amazing. That's really cool. You're like, man, and Jesus can change your life too, right? We begin to gossip the gospel, dropping gospel nuggets every single conversation where we can and allowing the Holy Spirit to use us to pick those up. Now, friends, here's the, probably the riskiest prayer of all of these four that I'm going to give you today. This is risky prayer number three. I'm going to ask you to pray that the Lord would give you the opportunity to share the truth of Jesus with someone today. Why is this a risky prayer? Again, remember, God answers prayer. This is in full accordance with his will. And friends, if you ask God for the opportunity to share Jesus with someone today, he will answer that prayer. To some of you, that's a minor freak out moment right now. Like, why would you dare lead me in something like that? I'm kind of comfortable where I am. We, we're not neutral, remember? 
We're those who engage. Consequently, we need to be those who are doing this. I, I met this guy named Ben in Kansas City. He was a businessman. He's in his uh, late 60s. He and I were talking about how God had used him in his business and, and seeking to glorify God. And I was asking him, like, what are some top things that I need to know uh, about you and, and about how God has used you? And he goes, oh, probably the best thing to know about me is when I was around 30 years old, I made a commitment to the Lord that I would never come home in the evening until I had shared the gospel at least one time with someone. I'm like, I'm sorry. He goes, yeah, yeah, no, this is, it's a thing. He's like, I get up in the morning and I pray something very similar to what I'm going to lead you in here. And he says, I pray that God will give me the opportunity to share the gospel with at least one person every day. And I don't go home until I find that person. I was like, well, sometimes that means you're probably not coming home till late. He goes, yeah, my wife understands. It's something that we do, but it's, Something the Lord led me to do. So if you stop and you think about over 30 years of daily praying this and daily sharing with at least one person, that's transformative. Talk about making a difference in the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. Ben had it going on. Friends, what about you? Would you join me in this risky prayer? This risky prayer that I would even dare you to pray every day this next week. And then come back together next week and hear stories from each other about amazing encounters of God that you had. It'll rock this place. So let's pray. You will join me. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask for mercy. We ask for courage. We ask for grace. For many of us in this room, this is a scary thing to pray. Nonetheless, Lord, we know that it is your will. So God, we pray, give us opportunity to share the truth of Jesus Christ with someone today. Lord, I pray that as First Baptist gathers again next Sunday, there'd be incredible stories of life change because of what you did by people risking to pray this very thing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Finally, if you notice in the text, it not only goes from Samaria, but it also goes to the end of the earth. To the end of the earth. This is that no stone left unturned kind of approach. And friends, there is still a lot of work to be done. So we know that Christianity is present on every single continent according to work done by the Joshua Project, but I want to use some of their stats and I want to help you understand the scope of the work that's still to be done. Based on work done by the Joshua Project in 2020, there are, and listen to these numbers, 17,461 people groups representing 7.7 billion, with a B, billion people that are unreached. That's... Staggering. It equates to roughly 42.6% of the world's population. So as witnesses, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to go. If you watch the slides kind of before the service, right? Cycling through, there's mission trip opportunities. You can get up and you can go yourself and you can serve wherever the Lord would take you. 
We can invest in the mission itself. That's by giving generously to support missionaries that this church supports directly in the work that they're doing. That's supporting training for future missionaries at an institution like Corbin. This is an incredible opportunity for you to partner with what God is doing. You pray for the harvest. We're told by Jesus that we are to pray to the Lord of the harvest, right? That we would see individuals and souls saved. And friends, lest we forget, we personally share Jesus. That's how we engage to the ends of the earth. I love the saying that's attributed to Francis of Assisi. Maybe you've heard it before, maybe seen it on a plaque. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. This is fake news, by the way, if you didn't know that. Francis never said that. In fact, his life actually counteracts that. He, he risked his very life and went into the court of an Islamic ruler and shared the gospel with him, his court, and his family for over a year. Just kept showing up, knocking on the door, and sharing Jesus with him, verbally. His own biographer, Thomas of Salano, said this about Francis, quote, his words were neither hollow or ridiculous, but filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, penetrating the marrow of the heart so that listeners were turned to great amazement at Jesus. Would that be said of us? How incredible is this? So how do I live this out? Well, get off the bench, right? You're already a part of the team as a follower of Jesus Christ. Get equipped, share Jesus. And again, you don't need a system. Just tell your story. Talk about Jesus. Tell about Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do his work in your life. And to do that, you can take some very practical steps. Some of you have a passport. All of you should have a passport, right? You should go ahead and apply for a passport. And when you get it in your hands, you set it on the kitchen table and you say, Lord, I, I give you this passport and wherever you would take me to the ends of the earth, I will go and see what the Lord will do. I promise it'll rock your world. We should give resources. We should be praying for our missionaries. We should pray for those training to be missionaries. Friends, I would encourage you to read church history to hear the voices of the past and how God moved over and over and over again for the last 2,000 years to the praise of his glory. So here's our risky prayer, our fourth one. Our fourth and final one is simply this. God, remove any barriers to me sharing the hope of Jesus to the world. God, remove any barriers to the sharing of the hope of Jesus to the world. Will you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we live in an age where we can literally reach the ends of the earth. In this room, there are individuals who have faithfully served you on the mission field and they continue to serve. In this room, there are men and women that I know as young adults, they are wrestling with a call to missions. God, I pray that you continue to work in the power of your spirit on their heart and their life. But God, I also know that there are men and women in this room who just need to be free to go. So Lord, we pray together this risky prayer. God, remove any barriers to me sharing the hope of Jesus to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. Remember the idea of dropping a rock in a pond, right? Bloosh, one rock. 
if that represented one life, one, one of us committing to Jesus's call to go, that would be pretty amazing. But see what happens every Sunday morning at First Baptist Salem as there are a thousand or so of you. What would happen to that same stock pond if a dump truck backed up with a thousand stones? What happens to the surface of the water at that point? See, that's what happens in the multiplication of the kingdom of God is that God has equipped you to make a difference all the way to the ends of the earth. And if we will do that together, the ripple effects are huge. This is the picture of the book of Acts. And page after page, the Holy Spirit moves to the people of God. And what we begin to see is a story of, of hundreds and thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So much so that it's, it's crazy by the year 200, right? So 200 years, roughly 150 years after Christ and the apostles have done most of their ministry. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, is reflecting at how people in the culture are upset because there are so many Christians. Listen to what he wrote. He said the outcry is that the state is full of Christians. They're in the fields. They're in the citadels. They're in the islands. All these non-believers are making lamentation as as if it's some calamity that both men and women of every age and condition, even high rank, are passing over to the profession of the Christian faith. May it be so in our day. May it be so in Salem, Oregon. May it be so wherever we set foot. So friends, are you ready? Because you are empowered to make a difference.